0: Back for another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. Where we go, behind the lens, below the line, with the movers, the shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the writers, the directors, the actors, the cinematographers, production designers, costume designers, composers, film editors, sound editors, sound mixers, authors, choreographers, you name it we talked to them and can you believe it is all already the last week of june the first half of 2023 is gone i don't know pam pam sitting in the booth going where'd it go i don't know what i do know is the first half of, of the year we have talked to a lot of people and looked at a lot of films and it has been an absolute joy. And now we're gearing up for the second half of 2023. Uh, and got some good stuff coming up already uh, in in the month of July for you. But today, very excited. I know I have to give her a big shout out. Um, my friend Morgan, she has been so excited ever since I told her a couple weeks ago That Sheila Omi, who voices Mrs. Cinder Lumen in Elemental, was going to be live on the show today. Morgan is a huge, huge fan of Elemental. She loves it. And she was very excited, told me again Saturday. She is a server and a great bartender at the backstage in Culver City, my home away from home. And Saturday... She was very giddy and was even saying, I can't wait to hear the show on Monday. So Morgan is going to get her wish and she's going to get to hear Sheila, Omi, and I talk about Elemental. Um, And that's going to be at the midpoint of the show when Sheila joins us. But before that, you're going to hear momentarily my exclusive interview with writer-director Jordan Gertner. Jordan... Has such a creative eye, you know him best. This is his directorial debut with the film Shiro's. It is a kick-ass action film. Let me find my notes that I wrote down, so I get this right. Um, yeah, it is. It is totally kick-ass action, female-centric, female-driven. Stars Isabel Furman, Sasha Luss, Wallace Day, Sky Jackson. And Jack Kessie, who, he's he's the poor, the, the low-budget Chris Hemsworth, to be honest. Um, he's a very nice addition to this film. But the whole idea of this film is for BFFs. Each one, a couple of them are a little bit out there, let me tell you. Uh, they go to Thailand for, you know, a a weekend or a week of partying. You know, that old sex, drugs, rock and roll. Well, this is present day and they're 20, later 20 somethings. And, uh, it's still sex, drugs and rock and roll apparently. But one of them gets kidnapped by a drug Lord. And the other three decide we are going to rescue her ourselves. We are not calling in law enforcement we are going to get her. And each one of them does contribute something to this quartet of BFFs. Um, the stunts are incredible. Shot on location in Bangkok and surrounding areas, Phuket. Um, at, it just keeps moving. Joe Plenis is the editor on it. He has previously worked with Jordan uh, when Jordan was a producer on London Fields. Uh, an amazing cinematographer, um, Wick Kyo Sayananda um, does an amazing job. The cinematography, it is saturated, high energy. The action sequences are all location-fueled, which really serves this film and this story well. And at the same time, we really get to see the contrasting worlds of Thailand. We see the neon ecstasy of the nightlife there. We have This is countered with the private jet that the girls fly on to Thailand that is done in just a black and white design. Uh, we've got the widescreen coastal views showing the blue sky, the blue water, the white, white, white sandy beaches. Uh, and the color, the vibrancy of the people in Bangkok. Just really well done. And it doesn't surprise me that Jordan chose this film to write and direct as his directorial debut. Um, One of his best known films that he has produced was the 2012 Spring Breakers, directed by Harmony Corinne and starring Vanessa Hudgens and James Franco. And Spring Breakers was balls to the wall, total insanity. Um, which I expect coming from Harmony Corinne and from James Franco. It did not disappoint. That was a film that was super saturated and high energy and completely nuts. And I loved it. So I had high hopes for Shiro's. Uh, I was not disappointed. Yes, there are some of the expected action film tropes. Um. Even some expected dialogue. The dialogue actually is really quite witty with a lot of pop culture references. um, Noted movie scenarios and tropes get worked into dialogue that the girls do an amazing job uh, delivering. Um, It's just all around, it is totally enjoyable. Uh, for a first feature directorial, I am beyond impressed. I want to see more from Jordan. Um, he just he has a great creative eye and mind. He knows how to tell a story and he knows how to use all the tools in the toolbox to do it. So, without any and without any further ado, I'm just gonna let you listen. This was a fun conversation. Um and you can tell listening to Jordan he really enjoyed himself and put his heart into making Shiros. Take a listen. Hey Debbie, how you doing? I am very happy to be speaking with you this morning after watching Shiros.
1: Oh, well, I'm thrilled to talk to you and I so appreciate you taking the time to watch the film.
0: This film is so much fun. Oh,
1: so that's that's, that's- wonderful to hear
0: from beginning to end it is high energy you never let up there might be one or two little breathers in there but you start right off the bat you've got these kick ass girls you have defined the personalities of each one so well they are so distinct but when they're combined together they work And you've got some standout performances here. And one of the greatest aspects of this film is your color palette, your cinematography, especially in those alley chase scenes. So well done, Jordan.
1: Well, thank you so much. It's like so amazing to hear that. And I'm thrilled that you connected with the movie. On a way that I just hoped people would, you know, that, uh, you know, you went on the ride and you enjoyed it. And, um, for me, like that's the biggest reward in making this film.
0: I'm ready for a sequel, actually.
1: <laughs> I would love to explore, um, these incredibly talented women getting into trouble in some other beautiful location.
0: Um, they're very good at getting into trouble. Um, uh, <laughs> I was anxious to see what you would do because this is your first feature directorial, correct?
1: It is. Yeah. yeah.
0: I know you've got another one, but I didn't think you had shot it yet. But so impressive. But I love the films that you've been a producer on, such as Spring Breakers, even London Fields. And I was anxious to see what you would do at the helm as a director, and especially since you also wrote this. And you surpassed my expectations,
1: Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, Well, listen, I've had the opportunity to work with some incredibly talented directors, you know, throughout my producing career. Um, And that was just a great experience for me to kind of, you know, see how different people approach uh, making a film. And, you know, I feel fortunate that I had that opportunity to you know, work with these talented filmmakers and kind of take what I felt like, you know, worked best from each of them and then kind of, you know, mix in my own vibe in terms of, like, how I approached, you know, making this film.
0: It shows that you paid attention to the mechanics of filmmaking while you were producing these films with these other directors involved. You paid attention, and it shows here in this film.
1: Oh, well, thank you. And, yeah, I mean, listen, I was really... um, focused on trying to make something um like for me movies have always been you know uh this this you know magic ride we go on and we get you know lost in this world and we forget about everything going on around us and um if this can do it do that for for the audience then then great um and for me shiro's was also like it's somewhat like going on a roller coaster like you strap in you go up the hill there's a bunch of loopy loops and turns you don't expect and then it's over and you uh, finish up with a smile on your face
0: now where did the idea for this story arise
1: um, for me, as a kid growing up, I'd always loved movies, and that's how I got into producing was through my love through movies. And um, you know, I was always connected with uh, you know the late '80s, early, early '90s, you know, action films, which I always thought were like such a fun ride. So I wanted to kind of go back to those um, those experiences that I had watching those films and try and build out a story. Um, that could reflect that same type of vibe, except for I wanted to work with you know, strong and talented women in terms of like telling the story. So somewhat of a throwback to those films I watched growing up, but um, focused on um, exploring that same world through the eyes of these talented women.
0: Well, it definitely works. And one of the interesting things that you do, and this had me guessing, the entire film, Jordan, Is you have your character Diamond. Her father is a filmmaker. And the whole time I'm watching this, you've set this up perfectly as she's coming up with all of these ideas on how to do this, how to do that, what we're going to do next to get our friend back, who's been, you know, to get Daisy back because she's been kidnapped. And the whole time I'm thinking, she's pulling all this from her father's movies. Is this her way to get her father's attention? And she's crafting her own story for her father or film for her father and it plays so well that that was always in the back of my mind because we hear about her relationship with her father or uh, she's so mad at Ezra because Ezra slept with her director father yeah. so it's like okay this is a, this would be a good way to get back at dad So I like that undercurrent that was in the back of my mind. The entire time
1: well, like I listen, I was hoping to um, surprise people and um, give them moments of those you know, wow, you know, or what a shock or a big surprise. So you know there's the, the movie was crafted in a way that um, you would be surprised and um, wanted to move the film quick enough. Um, so you know people didn't have the opportunity to get bored.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, you you absolutely don't. You know, how difficult was it casting this film because all of the girls have to have some level of athleticism for this role. Even if you're bringing in stunt doubles at some point, they still need some level of athleticism and be able to act and fill the bill for each of these characters.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I work with um, an amazing casting directing team that I've known for years And I met many, many wonderful and talented actors. And for me, the most important thing was first of all, like connecting with whoever it is that's going to play these roles. And, you know, I feel fortunate that I had great connections with the four women that ended up in Shiro's. Um, And then I knew uh, through, you know, previous films that, you know, Sasha had done, that she had that, you know, athleticism that we're talking about through her experience working on Anna um wallace as well you know had recently come off a film that i'd seen where she was um able to uh you know do some really great stunt work and you know i knew that that and isabel would just um you know be able to pull off whatever was put in front of them so for me most importantly it was it, it was about these women becoming these characters um and and then it was about knowing that they're going to connect with each other uh in a way that um feels real so um the athleticism was kind of on the lower end of my concerns Mm -hmm. uh, because i knew they could just pull it off um just wanting you know for me it was about their connection with each other and i knew if they had that everything else would come into play
0: and they really do connect extremely well on screen and then of course you know you give us some eye candy with jack kessie as jasper and he just throws off such a Chris Hemsworth vibe. It's not even funny. And he's like, you you really wanna see, is he gonna be the knight in shining armor is for girls that don't need a knight to come save them. Is he a bad guy? He really walks the line of ambiguity in this film.
1: Well, that was, that was his role and I think he did a, a fantastic job of that. Um, you know, and it was important that that role um, Without spoiling too much of the movie, was very clearly defined. You know, because mm-hmm. this is a woman. This is a film about um, you know these four women and their journey um, and their opportunity to solve what's in front of them. So you know, Jack's role is an important part of that. But it was important to me that that role was defined in a very particular way that did not divert. Um, from the, the path that these women had in
0: front of them. Mm-hmm. you know, Logistically, how did your locations in Thailand impact you? Because I gotta tell you, the motorcycle chase scene going through all of the alleys is spectacularly shot. Um, working with your DP, you guys did an amazing job from the use of color to the camera movement. There's a great energy to the camera movement and the visual grammar that mirrors the action that you have happening. So I'm curious about your work with him and the logistics in the the lighting and the lensing of bringing this to life because you give us the beauty of nighttime partying, the beauty and insanity of it. You show us some of the darker places. We've got the beautiful coastlines and then you pump it all up with these action-filled sequences.
1: Uh, well, very much for that. And I feel very fortunate. um, The DP that I got to work with uh, is an incredibly talented um, filmmaker himself. Um, So, you know, I was able to rely on him and his experience, not just from a cinematography standpoint, but also from a directorial standpoint as well, Um, you know, with him being someone that had directed uh, some action films over the course of his career. So I was really able to lean on him with myself being a first-time filmmaker um, and, uh, you know, communicate to him what I really needed, what I really wanted. And, you know, he was really able to help facilitate uh, my vision and my dream for those particular scenes. And, yeah, uh, creating that palette was really important in terms of, um, you know, having the film evolve from this kind of, like, very happy place to this more tension-filled place to this more, you know, extreme action vibe we get towards the end of the film. So there was uh, a very uh, particular train of thought in terms of, like, how the palette could progress and change over the course of the film.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Your, color is spe- your use of color is spectacular. And you really pick up on the vibe of Thailand with color. And a lot of it comes through the night scenes with the neon. But then you've got all the blues. It carries through from the sky to the water to the paint on the alleyway walls. What were your thoughts in coming up with the color, which is definitely a little heightened and saturated to go with this high-energy film?
1: Well, the film for me is heightened and saturated, you know, within itself, right. you know, the idea and the story. So I kind of wanted to lean into that in terms of, like, color palette and photography as well. Um, you know, as soon as you start to take a film like this too seriously, I don't think the film works. Right. So, you know, um, being aware of that, I just leaned into it in terms of, like, the way that we shot the film, the way that we colored the film, uh, wardrobe, Dialogue, the way we, you know, the way the film was crafted. Uh, This film was crafted to be like a really fun ride and a great experience. And, um, you know, I just tried to lean into that as much as I could across um, every medium I had in front of me uh, in terms of telling the story. Did you storyboard this one? I didn't storyboard this one, no. Um, I had, you know, I'd been working on this for a while and. I've always said, if you could plug into my brain, we wouldn't have had to make the movie. <laughs> uh, because it, it was just all there. And I knew very specifically, like, what I was looking for. So it all became about communication and how I could express that in a clear way to the incredibly talented people that was that surround me um, in terms of, like, art direction, costume, uh, photography, editing, music. Uh, and, the, and the clearer I was the closer it got to uh that movie that was playing consistently in my brain
0: Mm -hmm. now how challenging was the editing for you i see that you're working again with joe Planis, who you had on london fields so i'm curious about the editing process for you and maintaining that beat that that energetic beat because that's always so challenging
1: Oh, completely. And Joe is an incredibly talented editor, and I feel fortunate that you know I met him and got to work with him on that previous film. Um, and we were just aligned in terms of like how the story should move forward and what the beats are and how to keep keep momentum. You know, knowing that you know for me, I'm making this movie for everybody that's going to watch it. Um, the most important thing to me is that everybody enjoys this ride. Uh, It's not about what my favorite shot is in the movie or my particular favorite moment is in the movie. Uh, If that doesn't work in terms of delivering the best possible version of the film that people will enjoy the most, then it doesn't end up in the film. And, you know, Joe was very much along the same lines as me in terms of, uh, that's the goal. That's what we want to do. We want to create tempo. We want to create movement. We want to create a story that consistently moves and doesn't stop. Uh, and I feel like that's what we were able to accomplish for Shira's.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now that you have, this is coming out into the world, you've got this first directorial under your belt. What did you learn about yourself as a filmmaker, as a director, that you can now take forward into... Your next projects?
1: Well, I, uh, the first thing I learned was how much I love this, you know, and how much I love the creative process of directing a film. Um, and how, uh, what a wonderful gift it is to have the opportunity to create and craft a story that people will spend their free time watching. So, um, that, that for me was just one of the great things I took out of this. And then on the next film, you know, you learn everything, everything is a learning experience. And, um, you know, what I learned from Sharo's is like, you know, be prepared, be organized, um, be open to collaboration and, um, be prepared. And the more prepared you are, the more you collaborate, um, operate on the assumption that you're not the smartest person in the room. Um, <laughs> and uh you'll be
0: well well you did well with this one jordan you really did appreciate that debbie thank you so much oh thank you i can't wait to see what you direct next i really am anxious to see where you go as a director after seeing this one and i hope we get to chat again
1: Well, I hope so, too, and hopefully uh, we'll chat on the next one. But thank you so much for your time, and thank you so much for taking the time to watch the movie. I really
0: appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Jordan. Bye-bye. All right. Debbie,
1: have a great day.
0: And that was writer-director Jordan Gertner talking about Shiro's. It is in select theaters and on digital right now. It just came out on Friday. So opening weekend is behind us. It is available now. It's just a fun film. We're in summer now. It's official. The first day of summer was last week. We finally have sun in California. The East Coast has been getting blistering heat. The Midwest storms, the South storms, tornadoes. Um, The weather may be in flux, but one thing that never is are movies. So a lot of good stuff happening out there. And hey... You know, we talked about Dances with Films last week. Dances with Films is still going on at the Chinese Theater Complex in Hollywood. Uh, it runs through July 2nd. A lot of encore presentations of short films and documentaries happening this week. Uh, one of them that will you'll be able to see if you missed it, uh, it uh, Hedgehog. Hedgehog is playing today hedgehog and we just had dimitri gelfand on last week talking about his beautiful uh and very poignant and powerful short hedgehog um over the weekend a beautiful film uh, with this great emotional lyricism mermaid's lament i don't think there's an encore presentation of it however Just Google it, Mermaid's Lament. That It has a website, and you'll be able to follow the subsequent festivals because I know it is on the festival circuit right now. Um, But lots of good stuff still happening. It dances with films. If you are in the L.A. area, do yourself a favor. Go check it out. A lot of brand-new filmmakers, a lot of veteran filmmakers, veteran actors who come on board with these little indie films. And essentially give a great leg up to a lot of aspiring filmmakers. Unfix has, is coming up on the 30th at Dances with Films. So you still have time to get tickets for that one. I don't think it's sold out. And there are lots of other really good films. Uh, the word just came out today, people... For those of you that are interested, and I know that many of you are, the Hollywood Walk of Fame, who's getting a star next year? Well, the first person on the list is none other than our beloved Chadwick Boseman. We'll be getting a star on the Walk of Fame next year. Michelle Yeoh, joining him. Kevin Feige, getting a star. Uh, Gal Gadot, Christina Ricci, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Chris Pine, and Chris... Melodondry, but uh, I think all the Marvel fans out there are going to be whooping it up for Chadwick Boseman getting a star on the Walk of Fame. Uh, That's going to be a day in Hollywood, let me tell you. Uh, So they haven't released the dates for each star yet, but that is the list of who is getting a star in 2024. So I'll have more on that as we get dates, times, and all of that good stuff. But yay, very happy. You know, even Kevin Feige's getting a star. Uh, So, but right now, we are going to switch gears. And we are going to talk about Elemental. So Morgan, I know you're listening. Get happy. I'm bringing Sheila on live right now. Hello, Sheila. How are you? Hello, Debbie. I'm great. How are you? I am so excited and so happy to have you on Behind the Lens today. I can't tell you. Um, Oh, it's
2: such a pleasure for me to be here.
0: I love this film so much. And as I I was saying at the top of the show today, a friend of mine, ever since I told her... uh, few weeks ago, that you were confirmed you were going to be on the show today. She went and saw the movie, opening weekend. She loves it, loves it, loves it. And on Saturday, she even reconfirmed with me, Morgan is listening live today just to hear you talk about Elemental.
2: Oh, Morgan, (laughs) bless your heart. It it makes me so happy. This is... I'm most proud of this work that I've done. I just love this movie so much. Thank you. This movie...
0: Number one, it is beautiful. The animators have just gone above and beyond with their color palettes, with their blend of colors, and how they very appropriately have captured the colors of each element that we explore in this film.
2: Right, right. And also the fact that with with the fire characters, I mean, this really is a... It's a technological feat in that the fires, there's light emitting from them yes. constantly. And it's not just one tone.
0: It's, you've got multiple yellows and oranges and shades in there. And they flicker with movement and with the emotion that each character has. Um, it's so exquisite. I know one of the big things that Pixar worked on for years was water. They were one of the first Mm -hmm. companies with animation to even start to tackle the idea of reflection and refraction in water. With Elemental, they've now escalated that with the... See through the, the viscosity of water, the tonal shades within water. When we look at uh, characters like Wade, uh, mm-hmm. it's outstanding. But at the same time, you know, fire and water, they really do go together. So <laughs> they did not overlook fire. And it, if whenever your character of Cinder Lumen or Cinder's husband or Ember, whenever or any of the other fire characters in the background or on screen, it is so stunning. Mm. I mean, you actually mm. you light sparks for us as oh. moviegoers watching.
2: Oh. Oh. That's a pleasure. Just, I, I, just, I cannot believe my great, great four cents on this, on this
0: project. Yeah, How did, because you've been doing voiceover work. You do theater work. Um, you founded Turquoise Heart Productions. Um, you've directed and produced plays here in L.A. You have been in the incredible Apple TV series Tehran, now in its second season. Um, mm-hmm. you have, you've tackled all the different mediums. So how did you, what led you to Elemental and this character of Cinder?
2: Debbie, to this day, I have to pinch myself. I cannot believe my my great, I, I don't know what star, <laughs> I, I don't know who to thank, but Peter Sohn, who is the director, and he... Created this. this story is based on his immigrant family, mm-hmm. and he reached out to me one day, and he said that they had gone through, um, um, tried to work with some 27 wonderful actresses, but because the character of Cinder Lumen is based on his Korean mother, he just wasn't able to find the right sound and, and tonal quality um, to... Um, the sound that he needed until he met me thank (laughs) goodness and we did a zoom interview for oh it felt like some four or five hours and he had me go through the entire script all of cinder's lines and uh sometime i think it was by the end of that day or the next morning i found out that they wanted me to play her Wow. Now,
0: now the fact, uh, number one, doing voicing in a Pixar film, doing anything for Disney, is, I think that is like every actor's dream. I have Mm -hmm. never spoken with anyone, especially with the Pixar films. When you get to voice a character for Pixar, that's like the cream of the crop. That is, you can't go any higher than that. Uh... And it sounds like that's exactly how you feel about voicing Cinder.
2: Oh, my. It's, it's absolutely how I feel. But here's the thing. There's something so humble and such a beautiful, un-egotistical quality about Peter that, um, first of all, I never had a chance to go to the Pixar studio. I live in Southern California. So they would uh, rent out a... Voice, a over studio for me to walk into. So I never met them in person. And it was always, in, they were a tiny little uh, image on Zoom. So he was directing me through Zoom from up in the Bay Area. <laughs> so it, and, and because he's so humble and because he's really, I feel like Peter is just everything good about humanity and one human being. Um, it, it felt like I'm just, doing a an independent project with my friends, but I've done things like this for the past 20, 30 years, just, you know, working with friends and just these little projects that they make, and a lot of times I do it for free or <laughs> close to nothing just for the love of it. So it didn't feel like I'm working with the gold standard of animation by any means um, just because of his kindness, but he is such an amazing director. That's
0: well, now, something that the fact that this character of Cinder is based on Peter's mother, what kind of responsibility does that put on your shoulders? It's one thing when people are playing, you talk to live action performers who are portraying somebody from history or even somebody who is still very much with us, and they talk about how much there's a slight onus that they really want to yeah. honor the person that they're playing and still bring their own touches to the character so it's not a caricature or a mimicry. Absolutely. What what kind of responsibility did you, did you feel? Because not only is Mrs. Soane a real person, but it's Peter's mother and Peter is directing
2: you. Yes, absolutely. And then on top of that, I'm the type of person I don't believe in death. My own mom passed away in 2018, and I feel she's with me. So Peter Stone's mom also passed away a few years prior to this. So I not only felt like I have to honor Peter and to make him feel good that he hired me, but then I felt like I've got the, the, the soul of his mom looking down on me, so it was extra special, um, important to me to do uh, the, the absolute best that, that I could do, and I, and I sure hope I did. Although I don't know, it's so hard for me to listen to my own voice. So I've seen the the I've seen it four times already. Every <laughs> time I watch it, I'm amazed. Every time there are because there's so much um, intricacy and so much detail uh-huh. that I, I get something new every time I see it, but. I can't stand the sound of my own voice. Oh God, Betty. When is that gonna
0: stop? Well, I think that Cinder sounds wonderful (laughs) in the film. But you know, I'm Cinder is such an interesting character because she has this great quality, a gift from the gods, perhaps. She can Mm. smell true love, or maybe she's kind of hoping to manufacture true love. In a person's smoke. Uh, And watching. There are some scenes. Where Cinder is sitting down. With a couple. And you know trying. And you can tell. Maybe they aren't really. True love. But she thinks they are. And it is. It's adorable. And it's very much kind of like. You know a mother. Very motherly in what mm-hmm. she does um, as as this matchmaker. And mm-hmm. I love watching those scenes um, and to listen to you and the timbre of your voice as you try and make it sound a little sing-songy, romantic mm-hmm. in some <laughs> moments. And then you hear Cinder talk to her daughter, Ember, uh, or her husband, who... Mm-hmm. He knows better than everybody, and, and Cinder really placates him. That's okay, yeah. dear. That's okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. have a cold nut. Um, you know, <laughs> you'll be fine. You know, how do you get into that character and find those tonal qualities within your voice that bring the emotion to Cinder?
2: Debbie, I feel like this is the first time in my life that I've played a character that is completely myself. So it was easy. I, I was playing how I would feel, and I was working on my own emotions. And I do not the, the only difference between Cinder and I is, uh, well, two. One is that, well, three, I'm not fire. I'm a human being. Okay. But I, I don't have children. Every now and then when I see someone who's in their 20s, and I just think, oh, I, I just fall in love with that person as a human being, and I think oh, I wish I was their mom. Um, so I, I'm very maternal, so I brought in aspects of how I wish I was a mom in, in, in Cinder's actually being a mother. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is that Cinder's a matchmaker, and I am a matchmaker at heart. <laughs> and, Debbie, I am so bad at it that I literally have my friends yell at me to stop, and I can't stop. So I'm constantly trying to people put people together, and as as Tinder does. But it was really just being. Um, it's so well written, and it's so real. And what I love about Pixar is that they don't want you to do a cartoony voice, right? And, you know, they they want you to be yourself, so that people watching can really get lost in the story. As if um, it's real people voicing for them.
0: Uh, but you can do cartoony voices too. Um, I can. I you can. sure can. Um, <laughs> I know you've got that cartoon series NOPM Special Forces. Uh, oh, yes. forces.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You voice yeah. all of the characters in that one.
2: All of the, yeah, yeah, and and eight male characters. I I love doing voiceover so much. I I love it so much more than uh, being in front of the camera because in front of the camera there's so much that you have to work on and to prepare for and to worry about um because there's also your physical self and your the the, the, the way that your emotions appear on your face as well as your body whereas with voiceover you can just it it's just your heart and your voice
0: now uh, <laughs> <love that>. oh. <laughs> how do you prepare of voice characters be it Cinder be it some of the other characters that you have voiced before do you have a preparation process I know and when you're getting ready and then once you were in the booth to actually record the sound I know many actors I've spoken Ben Kingsley in particular I spoke with him once about he was voicing in a stop motion film and he described how he had to ha- lay down on the floor to get the timber he wanted uh, for mm-hmm. this one particular character, you get other actors who are in the booth, and they're very animated and demonstrative in their movements. In their, they'll they'll run in place, they'll they'll run around mm-hmm. the room, arms will flail as they're mm-hmm. uh, give, delivering their lines. What kind of prep and uh, do you have?
2: So as soon as I found out that I had the part of Cinder, I uh, immediately signed up for about a dozen uh, voice classes uh, from this amazing voiceover studio in New York. And it, it was expensive, <laughs> but it was really worth it. And my, um, the reason I did that wasn't to teach me how to do voices. It's actually a singing studio. Mm-hmm. But it was to help me to have stamina because I, want, I, I thought that at some point I was told I might be in that vocal studio for about five hours and I didn't want my voice to titter out. So um, it was the, the voice uh, exercises every day that I'd walk into the uh, voiceover booth, I'd start with the exercises and they're very physical. It's really about um, stretching out your, your lungs and your thorax and, and, and even the backs of your legs. And it's amazing how much your... Voice is affected by your entire body and your muscles. Um, so I did that. But as far as uh, preparing for Cinder, because it was so beautifully written, mm. um, what I did to prepare for it was to just read it. And the more that you read it, uh, the more that you get connected to what the writers were having in mind for mm-hmm. this person's emotional journey and their their art so it just it, it's, it slowly starts to live in you.
0: Now did you know what Cinder was going to look like? Did I'm sure they didn't have a completed version of Cinder when you were doing your voice work but did they give you any kind of drawings uh, early looks of, as to what she would look like because I know that will also help inform your delivery Yes
2: so Peter showed me via Zoom because it was, all, it was a <laughs> tiny little Zoom tablet and it was a drawing of uh, cinder. But the drawing does nothing. to It doesn't come close <laughs> to the incredible, stunning what I saw on you know, the, the finished product, mm-hmm. which was, as we talked about this, being that emits light. And moves and changes color with with emotions. I mean, the, the drawing was like a, it, was, it was almost. It looked to me like a, a drawing a child would create. <laughs> so it you know I was like, oh wow, good job,
0: Pixar. Oh my goodness! <laughs> now there's something about this story that I'm sure makes this very personal to you, because you were born in Tehran. You came to the United States in 79 uh, during the period of the Iranian Revolution as an immigrant. And Elemental, the Lumen family are immigrants uh, that land in Elemental City when they leave uh, their homeland. Do aspects like that speak to you when a script comes your way, especially with with this film?
2: Oh, my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you so much for that for that question because this um our me and my family are immigrating to the US. It wasn't just for a change of scenery. It, it was literally to save our lives. My my father, who was an incredible human being and a huge philanthropist and had done so much for his country and you know, and for, for Tehran, um, was on an execution list when suddenly this um, new regime came into power and they they executed a huge number of wonderful people and my dad would have been one of them Mm. had we not been fortunate enough to be here in the U.S. we were just visiting my sister who was going to USC at the time so we're so blessed to be living here and to be alive but being an immigrant comes with its challenges. And beyond the challenge of uh, having to learn a new language and and having to leave everything that you know and love behind just to survive, um, there's there's a lot that goes in it. There's so much. So when I read, and and especially when, when I saw Elemental, I connected so much with the character of Ember. Who, who plays my daughter because there's something about us immigrants and the, the children of immigrants that there is a burden that we carry that is very um, specific to the immigrant experience. And it's this burden of um, guilt and that our, that our parents gave up so much to give us a better life. Mm-hmm. So this, this is like a guilt that I carry with me. Even though, you know, my, my father's passed away 20 years now. My mom uh, passed away in 2018. But this guilt, is, it's just part of the fibers of my being. And, um, and I've heard this from a lot of immigrants that, um, you know, it, there's a heaviness. There's a heaviness. As funny as we are, as grateful as we are to be alive, but there's a heaviness that we carry with us.
0: You know, and that, that truly in elemental is one of the most poignant scenes in the film when yeah. Cinder and her wonderful husband are leaving their homeland mm-hmm. without the blessing of Mr. Lumen's father. Yeah. And you each have a suitcase. Cinder is expecting mm-hmm. a, little, a, a, a little fireball. And come to this new land and have to start again with just whatever they could put in their two suitcases, not knowing mm-hmm. anybody, no income, mm-hmm. having to start a business from scratch, raise a child in a new world. Mm-hmm. It's so power. That scene is so powerful. And then to see how Cinder in particular is as the film progresses, as Ember grows up, and how Cinder has acclimated to this new life and her matchmaking, and the store that the family owns. That really sets a big tone in this film.
2: Yeah, and I didn't—I cried a couple times during the film. because Also, uh, I, I'd never read the script, so I only was able to ascertain what's going on from the scenes that I was getting to voice for, that I could tell kind of where the story is going. So it was such a joy for me to watch the film and, you know, and to see the story unfold. And, um, oh, I cried and laughed. And I love the the character of Wade Ripple.
0: Oh, Oh, my my goodness. goodness. Right? And I love, I love Cinder's, uh, how she interacts with Wade. Because, uh, yeah. boy, you know, she really does. She wants Ember to settle down, even if it might yeah. be with somebody, Wade the Waterman. Uh, yeah, right. You
2: really?
0: know, and <laughs> you, bring, you bring great humor into into the voice whenever you're engaging with Wade and trying um, to encourage this opposites attracts matchmaking. And yeah. it's it's Thank so charming, but you know, on the issue of you know immigrants coming to this country, this is a big part of what you also do in your theater work, is it not? You, mm-hmm. uh, with the plays that you've written and uh, that you've directed, produced, and then with your theater company. Mm. Yeah, I have
2: been. I actually learned how to act uh, by doing. Uh, and and uh, acting in plays for Iranians in diaspora all over the world. Um, I fell in love with the art of acting in high school. I went to Van Nuys High School. It was a performing arts magnet. Um, and uh, just uh, it was like suddenly I felt like I had a, 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 a feeling of belonging because um, it, it had been a really rough ride for me after the revolution in the past. I was 10 years old when the revolution happened. At 15, I discovered acting and theater. But at that point, you know, this was the 1980s, and not only was there absolutely no representation anyone who looked or sounded like me in on the big screen, but there were such few people. There was like Molly Ringwald and Phoebe Cates, and you know, there was was just like a handful of. actresses that that would have been my age and so i never ever imagined that acting on film or tv would even be a possibility but um theater certainly was so i did plays for iranians and diaspora for the past 20 years i've been doing that wow
0: now how many how many plays have you directed
2: i um I've directed a couple, but my favorite was at the um, the Hollywood Fringe Festival. I did an adaptation of Butterflies Are Free. Oh my gosh! Um, at the Fringe Festival, and just, it was just—it was so wonderful to, to get a chance to do that. The, the plays that I've done, so it's a theater company. I, I wouldn't. I, I've directed I've directed parts of a lot of the plays that we did, but not like the entire play mm-hmm. as it was.
1: Um,
2: for the Cinch Festival, but I directed a film called Wake Up Sleeping Beauty, which is on YouTube, and that was commissioned by the Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health uh, for uh, a friend of mine, master, Mehrdad, is a therapist, and so she wrote a play to go on stage for the Department of Mental Health for Iranians in in living in Los Angeles, and uh, when COVID happened, the department said. Well, you can't do a play. What do you want to do? So I turned it into a film. And they said, no, none of the actors could ever be in the same room together because they were so afraid of COVID. And so I turned my living room into a green screen studio. And myself and my uh, creative partner, Hitoshi Inoue, who is just a brilliant filmmaker, special effects uh, genius, we had each actor come in individually I gave some eye lines and directed them and and I put in a beautiful background for them that I'd I'd filmed a friend of mine who passed away his uh, living room so I put his living room on the background of my actors and you'd never believe watching this film that these actors have never even met each other it looks like they're sitting next to each other and talking and emoting and so, wow! Yeah. Wow. And that's also an immigrant story, and, <laughs> and about the the psychological damage that we uh, immigrants and children of immigrants um, sustain, you mm-hmm. know, and the, and the PTSD. Did
0: it's, you did you ever think that you would be directing a film, especially directing a film during COVID lockdown?
2: Never. <laughs> this was again one of those amazing opportunities that. Fell into my lap, and I said yes. And thank goodness I was prepared for it. You know,
0: <laughs> you know how much <laughs> has theater prepared you for film and television, in front of or behind yeah. the camera.
2: Theater teaches you work ethics, because as an actor, as you know, when you walk on stage, there's no net to catch you. There's no forgetting your lines if. God helps you. You forget a line. You've got to fix it somehow. <laughs> so the the work ethic that gets you um, to tackle with such a fear, <laughs> such a terrifying uh, that's that's something that I'm grateful for because it's followed me into film and TV. Mm-hmm. Is that I everything that I do on so far? I, I work so hard. I do so much preparation. As if I'm going on stage and um, and there's no one to save me.
0: Mm-hmm. No net. You're working without net, a net. No <laughs> net. Now, you have two more films coming out this year, do you not? Yes. I've got
2: um, season three of Tehran is going to be coming out. Um, I don't know. I don't have a date yet. I think it's the, probably in January. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a great season. I don't know if you've seen I have seen the show.
0: It's one of oh. the few things that I managed to catch on Apple TV. And I really like the show.
2: <laughs> it's so good. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's it's thrilling. I mean, for me, it, it, what's amazing is that even after I've read, like obviously I've read the scripts to, to be able to do it, but every time I watch it, there's,
0: I love nice I love anything I love suspenseful series. Of course, then I want all the episodes at one time, and then when you get a season a season ending cliffhanger, I want the next season right then. Uh, yeah, and that's the kind of show Tehran is. That's that's mm-hmm. the kind of show Tehran is. But now you've also got a documentary coming out. What about deforestation that you've done the voiceover for? Or narration.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that, that I'm not sure when that's coming out, but it's this um, um, it's this company that checks out. So before people invest their money in huge corporations, this is a company that that makes sure that these corporations that we invest our money in are not um, uh, contributing to deforestation because so many companies do. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you know for your 401k for It's so important that we think about where we're investing, because Mm -hmm. the the climate changes, uh, we have so much more power than we think. And not just through recycling and, you know, being careful of our own emissions, but also where we invest our money in. Mm
0: -hmm. And, of course, then your film about Iran is coming out also. What is that one about?
2: Um, Mystic Iran, yeah, that's, um, so I did the narration for the behind the scenes, and a dear friend of mine, Ariana Farshad, uh, created this beautiful documentary about the different incredible places in Iran many years ago, so this was a behind the scenes of her experience creating this film. Um, And those are,
0: behind the scenes featurettes, films are always so much fun they are so oh. much fun. Yeah. So yeah. so now what do you look for in a project now? When something comes across your your desk, if another little gem like elemental pops up, what is it that speaks to you about a project that comes your way that makes you say yes, I want to do it?
1: Anything
2: that invites viewers in looking at life in a different way, but in a way to, to, make the, to, to make the world kinder, to make us kinder to ourselves, to make us kinder to one another, to try and understand others before judging and um, writing people off. It's one of the things I love so much about uh, Elemental, that it's it's like this message of it's our differences that, that when you accept people that are different than you, you become better. Your life becomes better. You become more sophisticated. Your family becomes better. And, and that this alchemy happens when people of different cultures and different backgrounds and different nationalities and different religions, and when we come together, we all get better, and so films that just open hearts mean so much to me. I love healing so much. I'm, um, it, it's one of my passions is uh, to, uh, to, you know of course, my own self-healing, but also to help facilitate the, the healing of others in whatever way I can. And, and the films that I choose, as you mentioned, is one of those. One well. Of those I actually said no to a, uh, a project that was, um, that, that was, yeah, that was like against that.
0: Well, um, elemental definitely. It opens the hearts, and mm. you can't help but smile and walk away feeling good when you watch this film. Just and it's a
2: great date movie, which you know I don't think people think they can go a cartoon uh, an animated d- film for a date, but it's a great date movie.
0: Cartoons are always great date movies because if you're with somebody who who doesn't have all the feels, laughter, crying, yeah. smiling, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, Cinder Lumen would not be putting them together if they can't appreciate right. if they can't appreciate. Everything that comes with a a cartoon or an animated feature like Elemental, I don't think Cinder would want them together.
2: Uh. I love that you know her so well, Debbie. (laughs) Yes,
0: you're right. Oh, Sheila, this has been so lovely. Unfortunately, we're all out of time today. But I do have to ask you before I let you go, if you could sum up Cinder in, in one word, what would that word be? love oh she is love and she's just all about love and that's exactly what i feel when i see her be it funny Mm. be it meddling it's love is her (laughs) ultimate goal in life oh sheila this has been so extraordinary to have you on the show i can't thank you enough i hope you'll come
2: back again Oh, hon, it would be my pleasure. Thank you so much, Debbie. Oh,
0: thank you. thank you so much. And everybody, Elemental is out now. They can see it and they can hear Sheila Omi as Mrs. <laughs> Cinder Lumen. Sheila, thank you. Have a wonderful thank day. You. Thank you so much. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Sheila Omi. The voice of Cinder Lumen in Elemental. If you haven't seen the film, see it. Fourth of July weekend is coming up. Um, do yourself a favor. It is. It's a great date film. It's a family film. It's Pixar. The animation is beautiful. I love what Pixar has done with Refraction, Reflection, with with Water, and then what they have done with Fire. Uh, even clouds. Yes, clouds. And in Elemental, you get the treat of an opening short. Carl's date. Yes, Carl is back from up. Ed Asner, yes, voices him. One of, one of Asner's last projects before he passed. And we have Doug the dog. Uh, so it's a win-win all around. Uh, Go see Elemental. Also, Fourth of July weekend, you know who's opening this week. You know who's opening Friday. Indiana Jones is back for the last time. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And I've got to tell you, I saw it the other week. And to borrow from my friend and attorney, Brandon Leopoldus, who went with me to this screening. It leaves you warm and fuzzy and has all the feels. Um, It is action-packed. It is a ride like all Indiana Jones films are. And it takes us from the past. And I have to say, the technology de-aging Harrison Ford is spectacular. It is flawless. Uh, We start in 1939. We go up to 1969, which is where the present-day film is set, the week of... The astronauts from Apollo 11 are getting their ticker tape parade in New York. Uh, And that, in and of itself, sets the stage, as does the past. Because no matter how much you try, the past always comes up into your present. So, Friday, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Yes, that is my number one pick for the weekend. Uh, Followed by Elemental. And if you haven't seen it yet, Transformers. And speaking of Transformers, this week, it'll be out, my exclusive interview with the boys from Weta. uh, Talking about their VFX work on Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Again, it's a great film and I got to give a shout out. Pete Davidson voices a new Transformers character, Mirage. Spectacular. Spectacular job. So, what we won't be here next week on July 3rd. Hopefully Pam's going to get a 4-day weekend out of out of the 4th of July holiday. But we'll be back on July 10th with Benjamin Pollock joining us live talking about his film Whatever Happened to Johnny Faith that will be premiering in the LA Shorts Fest later in the month. So, Until next week, have a fabulous 4th of July. Go see Indie. Go see Elemental. Have a great four-day weekend at the movies. I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.